You know, I, you know, it's funny you, when you raise kids, how many of you've raised kids? How many of you've got kids that know how to talk back to you? Right. Isn't it amazing how quickly your kids think that you're a terrible parent, right? You know, you hold them and you love them and they crawl to you and they're so sweet and kind. And then eventually they decide that you're a terrible parent, right? It's even better when they grow up and become a, become adults of their own. And not only do they think you're a terrible parent, they think you, they think they're better parents, right? Everybody remember that phase? Like I had that phase about my dad. I remember growing up thinking there's no way I can't do a better job than he did, right? But I remember, I remember pretty quickly when I realized I was in over my head as a parent, right? Our first child was about four and a half, five years old. Had to go, was trying to go to bed one night. Finally got him down to go to bed. Gone back into the living room. It wasn't five minutes afterwards. And you hear this terrible crying from the bedroom, right? Go rushing in there. And, and he's, our son's just inconsolable, right? Can't get him to calm down for anything. And finally getting calmed down enough to ask him, what in the world is the problem? Well, we found out he had swallowed a penny and he was convinced he was going to die. Right? And so I was just standing there, you know, and, I, and, it, and it came to me. And I reached into my pocket and I fumbled around and I found a penny. And without him noticing it, I, I palmed it up against his ear and pulled it out. And I said, look, son, I've got the penny. And he looked at me with bright eyes and smiled. And before I knew it, he grabbed that penny, threw it back in his mouth and said, Daddy, do it again. Right? I knew I was in trouble. Right? Happy Father's Day. Listen, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 15. We're in the last five verses of Acts chapter 15. Uh, text, honestly, I've taught from or read or used, but I've never actually preached from in my entire life. And so we're going to get to do that today. But how many of you were here last week uh, and heard Pastor Joe's sermon? All right. Well, first of all, let's be honest. His joke was terrible. I mean, that nursing home joke was enough to make me want to stop being a partner here. I was, I was embarrassed, right? But Joe talked a great deal about the attack that we face in our churches today. Listen, you, you heard Joe say this, right? The reality is it's not surprising that the world's acting in a dark manner. I don't know if you've read the Bible or you've read your history books, but the world, right, has always acted in a dark manner. It's not a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise to you, right? It might be unsettling that it's happening so quickly in our country, but it shouldn't be a surprise to us. What, however, is a surprise is how quickly, right, in our churches that we are losing the desire to fight for God's truth from his word. Listen, it's becoming a scary thing how little concern there is in the pulpits of churches in America for the truth and the authority of the word of God. That is a scary thing. And it is a problem that we face. But there's also another problem. And one that I, I sort of feel the same way about that Joe feels about some of the stuff that he feels. I believe this problem that we address today from our text is one that has affected millions of people and their ability to want to come to church. How many of you have ever met somebody who you've asked if they've gone to church and their story goes something like this? No, I don't go to church anymore. Well, what happened? I had a terrible experience at church. I just don't ever want to go back there. Anybody ever hear anybody that left church because they had a bad experience? Yeah, right? 
It's amazing how many restaurants we'll go back to in spite of a bad experience. We get one bad experience at church and boom, we're out the door, right? Listen, the reality is, it's, it's true though. How many people have left church because Christians have no idea how to agree in a way that at all reflects that they know Jesus? And we fight over the dumbest things. And listen, today's text, we're not talking about theological differences. We're not talking about the deity of Christ or the resurrection of Jesus. We're not talking about something that is 100% theological. This is about two people who have two different personalities and they share two different opinions. Right? That's all this is about. And yet, these situations play out over and over and over again in churches across America. And guess what happens? People leave churches all the time. Right? I'm going to give you an example. How many of you saw the video wall out in the hall out there? Anybody see the video wall? Wow. Listen, when you leave, walk out these doors and go congregate in the middle. And there's this massive video. Well, how many of you ever been to the Orlando airport and saw all those TVs that tell you your flight's delayed and all of that stuff? Right? That's what we've got in the hallway out there on the wall. It's pretty impressive. And I know that some of you are going to be wondering, well, what are you going to do with it? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to watch Bears football on Sunday. Right? Like, I'm bringing my lawn chair. I'll be right out there. Right? But here's the thing. I have no idea what we're going to do at that video wall. Yes, seems sort of cool. It really brightens up the lobby, I'll tell you that, right? And some of you are going to go out there and go, I can't believe my church is spending money on this, right? And although that wall right out there are the kind of things that make people have two different personalities and two different opinions, and all of a sudden people get in a fight about. Let me just clarify this for you. First of all, the video wall, right, was a result of a family who lost a father and his estate assigned some of the money to come to Tomoka Christian Church with the specific instructions to bring 2022 technology into the church to sort of help reach a younger generation. Yeah, you should clap for that, right? The elders and the leaders, we talked about it for a long time uh, before we pulled the trigger, but it was a, it, but it was completely a gift uh, from an incredible faithful family uh, that has served at this church for a long time. And because of that generosity, we were able to put it up. But people in churches have disagreed about lots of things that have nothing to do with the Bible over the years. That's exactly what happens today in our text. And my hope is, is that we can take, we can take some lessons from this. Because I'm telling you right now, yes, our churches are losing the battle for the fight of the authority of God's word. But we've been losing people for a long time with this simple thing. And I want to talk about it today. So if you'll stand with me out of, God, out of respect for God's word, we're going to read five verses this morning. Here at the end of Acts chapter 15. So sometime later, you were here last week, we talked about the Jerusalem Council. The Jews wanted to make the Gentiles, right, all the ethnic groups, follow the Jewish laws, become circumcised. That was the only way they were going to be accepted as Christians. They had this huge conference about it. They took this letter, took it to Antioch, finally agreed. It's not our job to make it hard for people to get to Jesus. Amen? So sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back. Let's visit all the brothers and sisters in all the towns where we preached, right, the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. John Mark was Barnabas' cousin. So there's a family connection. But Paul 
didn't want to take him, didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So we got a disagreement. They're going to go somewhere. John, Paul, Barnabas says, let's take John Mark. Paul says, no way, not happening. It says they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed uh, for Cyprus. Meanwhile, Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of our Lord. And they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. You guys can have a seat. So let's talk about this. Listen, I heard this this week when I was, when I was studying this text. One of the, the guys I listened to said this. Conflict is inevitable. Combat is optional. Right? Conflict is inevitable. Combat is optional. How many of you believe that conflict, because we're humans, conflict is inevitable? How many of you believe that? Does everybody believe that? Right? I would say that's probably true, right? Human beings are going to have some conflict. Yes or no? Yeah? Listen, we're not talking about avoiding conflict all the time because it's not possible. I know that some of you spend your entire life trying to avoid conflict. And you're probably two of some of the most exhausted people in the world, right? There's nothing wrong with conflict, right? But there's a lot wrong with unhealthy conflict. Which is why we want to avoid it at all costs, right? So let's talk about this disagreement real quick, all right? So it's pretty simple, right? Paul and Barnabas are great friends. You can go back. We've preached through it, right? When Paul, who was a persecutor of Christians, right? When Paul became a Christian, the Christians didn't believe him, right? They didn't buy it. Paul shows up at church and went, hey, I'm now a Christian. And the Christians in the church went, we don't believe you, right? It was Barnabas that showed up and went, I'll vouch for him. Barnabas is the one that took Paul in. Barnabas is the one that helped the church accept him. Barnabas was his friend. Barnabas and Paul did the first missionary journey together. They traveled 1,500 miles and planted churches together. These two people were friends and brothers in Christ. They're the ones that were chosen by the church to take the letter to the churches of the Gentiles and say, hey, everything's okay. You don't have to get circumcised and become a Jew to be a Christian. These guys were friends and had served the Lord together for years. It's time to go on a second missionary journey and it's a pretty simple dispute. John, Mark, is the topic. Barnabas says, let's take him. Paul says, let's don't. And the Bible says they had a sharp disagreement. That's just a really nice way of saying they had a knockdown, drag out fight, right? So let's read some text today to get a little bit of context about what actually happens here, all right? So let's read Acts 12, 25. You can skip those verses, Lori. Go to Acts 12, 25, right? So at the end of chapter 12, we read, keep going down there, Lori. There are the next verses, right? Paul and Barnabas come across Mark. So when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, who is also called Mark. So this is where the two of them pick up John Mark, Barnabas' cousin, to go with them. In chapter 13 of verse 1, listen listen to how the story goes. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, 
Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. Then it says, John was with them as their what? Helper. So the word helper there in the Greek is the word that it defines what's called an under rower. Okay? An under rower. And here's what an under rower was. You've seen the pictures of these old ships that on top of the deck are all of these deck hands and the officers. And below deck, there's these people who sit with an oar and the oar sticks out the side of the boat and they're the ones in charge of rowing the boat. Everybody got the picture? That is exactly the word that Paul or that Luke uses to describe what Mark's job was with Paul and Barnabas. Does that sound like a glamorous job to you? No. Sounds like a hard job. The kind of job where pretty dirty, pretty gritty, right? If your role is described as an under rower, right? You spend a lot of time taking orders and doing a lot of things you probably don't want to do, right? That's the role that John Mark had with these people. Look at verse 13 of the same chapter. They barely get started, and it says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John Mark left them to return to Jerusalem. So Paul and Barnabas get set apart by the Holy Spirit. They take John Mark with them as their under rower. It's not a glamorous job. His job is to be a servant who takes orders and does all the grunt work. They get just barely get going into their second sailing part of the journey. And John Mark says, see ya, going home. And that's all we know. We don't know why. We don't know what happened. We just know that pretty early in the journey, John Mark decides to go back home. Now, we also know from John, from other instances in the gospel, John Mark's family was rich. We talked about this a few weeks ago when Peter was released from prison and the church was praying. They were praying at John Mark's house. And John Mark's house had an outer gate. This was a rich family. There's a good chance that John Mark was just a little bit spoiled. And he had a really terrible job. And guess what? He quit on it pretty early in the journey. So now, fast forward, those same two men are going to go out a second time. And Paul says of John Mark, I ain't taking him. He left us. And Barnabas says, we're taking him. What happened? Well, let me tell you what happened, right? Let me tell you what happened. You can skip that verse Corinthians 13 verse there, Lori, and, and, and just leave it. So when you go back to the story, listen to this. Here's what it says. It says, Barnabas determined to take John Mark with him. Everybody say the word determined. So that word means that, that Barnabas dug his heels in. Right, The Greek word gives the idea that he had a very intentional plan and he was going to make sure that that plan took place. Anybody ever come to an argument and you've already got your stand in mind and you're not going to take no for an answer? Anybody ever approach a conversation that way? Yeah. Listen, if you're married, just say yes. It's just, it's just easier that way, right? But he came into the conversation and the Greek and the tense of the verb used in the Greek there is the imperfect tense. And here's what that means. It means that that conversation kept going on and on 
and on. Anybody in here ever have the kind of personality that when you've got a side you're pitching and you want to get your way, you just won't let the conversation in, that you just keep going and going and going? Any of you have that personality? Yeah, some of you do, right? Listen, Barnabas had a predetermined plan of taking John Mark. And here's the thing. He wouldn't take a no for an answer. And here's the problem. Paul was an apostle. He had the authority. And Barnabas wasn't going to take no for an answer. Does that sound like a good stand to take if you're a Christian? No. And what about Paul? Listen to Paul. This one's probably a little bit more relatable to me and you. The Bible says that John Mark left him. Everybody say left. That's all he did. They showed up, they got off the boat, and John Mark said, I'm going home. That was it. The word itself just means to depart. That's what he did. But when Paul describes what John Mark did in verse 38, it says this. Paul describes what John Mark did using the Greek word apostate. How many of you know what an apostate is? It means a person who's abandoned their faith. Anybody in here ever over-exaggerate to win an argument? Right? John Mark just left. He just left. It was too hard. It was too whatever it was. He just wanted to go home and he left. But when Paul said, I'm not taking him because he what? He abandoned the faith in Perga. Did he? No. He just went home. But Paul completely over-exaggerates to prove his point. Now, do you think it's possible to have an argument when one person decides I'm not taking no for an answer and the other person is always exaggerating to prove their point? Do you think that's potential for an argument? Yes or no? Yeah. These two men both behave poorly. And I'll prove it to you. Because 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes the love chapter, what we call the love chapter. And in 1 Corinthians 13, he writes, it's the verse right before this, Lori, right? He writes what love is, and he describes it. Everybody read it with me. Love is, love is, it does not, it does not, it is not. He goes on to say, right, it's not, it's not, listen to this one. It's not easily angered. Now. If you go back to Acts chapter 15, verse 39, it says they had a sharp dispute, right? A sharp disagreement. That Greek word and this Greek word for easily angered are the exact same word. You see, here's the problem. This is a verb. The other one's a noun, but they're the same Greek word, same root. Here's what happens. Because Barnabas said, I want John Mark no matter what. We don't know if he wanted him because he was the son of encouragement or if he was just doing it because they were family. But he just said, this is my agenda and I want my agenda to work and I'm not going to drop this until you agree with me. Paul said, I'm not taking John Mark because what he did in Perga was he abandoned his faith. Totally over-exaggerated. And because of that, these men were both easily angered. Here's the problem. Love isn't easily angered. Do you think that, do you think that these men acted in a godly manner? No. You know, people ask who was right and who was wrong. They were both wrong. Both of them acted poorly because love isn't easily angered. Now let's talk about that for just a second. 
I can't imagine how many people have left church because Christian people have disagreed about non-biblical things over the years. Right? I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a bunch of you in here. And there was a bunch of other people like you here last night. Not as funny, not near as attentive as you are, but they were here, right? And there'll be a bunch of people here at 1130 after you leave. And as you heard Pastor John say this morning, there's a bunch of people who are watching online. And here's the thing. This might come as a surprise to you, but we don't agree about everything. Like, there are people in here that actually think I shouldn't be allowed to preach an hour. That's crazy, right? I should be allowed to preach an hour, right? Like, there are lots of disagreements that we have. Listen, I do believe that conflict at some level is inevitable. And it's really inevitable when you do what Paul and Barnabas did by taking unhealthy stands. Listen, we're not trying to avoid conflict. Listen, there wasn't tension. Your car wouldn't run. You've got to have good, healthy tension at times for things to operate well. I tell my staff all the time, we're not avoiding tension. We're adults. We've got opinions. We're not always going to agree. Tension's not a bad thing. But you know what? Bad tension is a bad thing. And what Paul and Barnabas did was sinful. What you and I at times do is sinful. Listen to what scripture says, how you and I should interact with each other. Listen to these verses. I mean, just think about this from your relationship perspective. Think about it with your wife or your husband. Think about it with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Think about it with your children. Think about it with your coworkers, right? Listen to what Paul says in Romans 12, 18, right? He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, everybody read it with me. Live peace with who? Everyone. As far as it is possible with you. Some of you are not pushing yourself far enough. Right? There's a lot more that we can do. Right? Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul writes these words. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life... Live a life what? Worthy of the calling that you've received. That means worthy of the gospel. Worthy of a message that says God's no respecter of persons. Black, white, rich, poor, man or woman, slave or free. There is no respecter of person. We are all equal to God. Somebody say amen. Amen. He says, walk in a way that's worthy of that. And he tells us how to do it. Everybody read this first three words with me. Be Listen, do you know how many problems in the world? And, and let's be, um, let me be clear here. If you're a Christian and you're arrogant, you're sinful. And somebody should have told me that years ago. Because I thought being arrogant and being a Christian, they sort of went hand in hand. Because Christians were always right. So if somebody said to me that you're arrogant, that never bothered me. Today, I'm embarrassed to death I ever felt that way. Because the most noticeable quality of Christians should be our humility. He says, be how humble? Everybody say completely. You think we got some work to do in here, church? Yeah. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then he says this, make how much effort? Every effort. He says, in the Greek, the word is diligent. He says, be diligent to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of what? peace. Not through getting your way, not through pushing your agenda across, right? Not through over-exaggerating, right? He says, no, 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 no. He says, you and I should be completely humble and we should make every effort to keep the unity of spirit and the bond of peace, 
right? How about Hebrews 12, 14? He says this, make every effort to live in peace with how many men? All men. Listen, you heard Joe talk last week, right? We live in a world today where people want God's love to be an excuse for whatever they want. Listen, if God loves me, he's going to love me for who I am, no matter what I believe my sexuality is, no matter who I want to love. If God is love, God is going to love me. The world today wants God's love to be an excuse for them to do whatever they want to do. Here's the problem. God's love is not an excuse to do what you want to do. God's love is an expectation for you and I to behave in a manner that's consistent with that. Listen, if you love somebody and they tell you they love you, don't you have some expectations of them? Yes or no? Of course you do. Why is it when it comes to God's love, we want it to be an excuse for doing whatever we want to do? We say if God loves us, then he'll let us. If God loves us, he'll accept us. No, if God loves you and you love God, there's an expectation of behavior. And guess what that behavior is? Part of that behavior is you and I need to learn how to get along when we have conflict. Listen, I am so tired of losing people because they say this. What a terrible experience in church. I am so tired of that. I am so tired of listening to people leave church because of bad experience. First of all, it aggravates me that their tolerance for a bad, a bad experience at church is so small. But it irritates me more that we as Christians can't learn how to disagree in a manner that reflects that we love Jesus. Listen, do you think it matters that we agree about everything? No, it does not. I'll just answer the question for you. And yet for some of you... We have to agree. You have to be heard. Your agenda needs to be heard. And you're not going to let it go. Listen, we've got churches right now in our county that are just splitting right and left. And they're just moving down the street and starting a new church three minutes from their old church because things didn't go the way they want to. Do you think that helps the gospel? There are over 400 denominations in the United States of America. 400 people. And yet scripture says there's how many, how many lords? One. How many hopes? One. How many faiths? One. How many spirits? One. How many God and fathers overall? One. And yet there's 400 different denominations, 35 different Baptist denominations, and 14 different Methodist denominations. And you wonder why the world doesn't believe us? We don't even know how to get along. Right? Listen, I want to encourage you with everything in me. Do all that we can to handle conflict better. Because guess what? Your kids are watching. Your neighbors are watching. Because if you're a believer, these words, listen, these words are just as important as a command to you and me as thou shalt not. Make every effort. Be at peace with all men. Be completely humble. Those things right there change everything. And then real quickly, once they had the disagreement, they had the split. Here's what you don't read during the split, right? What you don't read in the split is that Paul and Silas went this way and Barnabas and John Mark this way. And here's what they did. They told the churches about what the other person did to them. It doesn't say Paul and Silas showed up at the churches and went, and the churches went, well, where's Barnabas? And Paul went, you're never going to believe what he did to me, right? And when Paul and Barnabas or Barnabas and Mark showed up, the churches looked at Barnabas and said, where's Paul? And Barnabas said, you're never going to believe what Paul did to me. You know what scripture records? That didn't happen. 
You see, what happens is there's conflicts between Christian people. And then what do we tend to do once the conflict happens? We tend to keep talking about it, don't we? We text people. And we talk to people. And we tell people what happened. And we tell people our side. And we just keep going on and on and on. Last week, Joe said, we talked about it. Acts 15, 19 is our, is our foundational verse, right? It's our, it's, it's our conclusion. We shouldn't trouble those who are far from God who want to get to God. Tomoka's translation is, we exist to make it hard for people to go to hell. Amen? How, how can you and I do that? How can you and I do that? When we're constantly bad-mouthing each other because we disagree about something that's not theological. Do you know how many people are turned off to the gospel because they've heard other Christians just go on and on and on and on about their loss of the argument? Listen, it doesn't help our cause. It might help your cause. It might help your gender. You may get four or five or ten people to believe your story and not believe theirs. But it doesn't help the mission. Here's what I love about Paul and Barnabas. These were two passionate men who loved the Lord and they separated. But they never, ever, ever mentioned it again. Ever. You know what they did instead? They went and did the work. Paul and Silas found Timothy and they planted churches up and down. Up and down Asia Minor. They discontinued the work. Do you know what happens to people who get, get in an argument at church? We don't see them for six months. They've quit. They quit coming to church. They quit giving. Listen, some of you online right now, God love you. Some of you online right now are watching because something happened just like this and you don't want to come to church anymore. We just stop. We stop giving. We stop serving. You know why? Because we get offended. Listen, it's time for us... It's time for us to get over that stuff. It's time for us to just get past it. Because there's a lot more important things to do. There are people dying today in our counties, in your neighborhoods. And they'll have to stand before Jesus and give an account. And the account they'll have to give is, do they know Jesus? And they're going to say no. And you want to know why some of them are going to say no? Because they met Jesus at church. And they didn't like him. He was a jerk. And they decided they just didn't have any interest in that. Listen, it's time for you and I to get past this stuff. And listen, I, listen, I say that as a guy who used to be the biggest jerk in the world. I'm completely capable of owning that. I knew everything. I thought I was right about everything. People talk about millennials like they're the worst people. They didn't meet our generation we were obnoxious and I was worse. Listen, I argued about everything. And you know what? I was great at it. And if I thought I was losing the fight, I just attacked you. Right? I wasn't going to lose. So when I say to you, we got to learn how to get past this. This is something God had to teach me. And God had to teach me that before I ever showed up to work here. And it was a painful, painful journey. But I'm telling you what, it's made a difference in my life today. Learning how to be at peace with all men. Learning how to try to be completely humble. Learning how to have conflict and yet not have a sharp disagreement. And you know what I found? If you work at it, if you work at it, it it's possible. It's possible to get past it. And I'm telling you, there are bigger things at stake. Listen, I want to read a passage to you in Romans chapter 14. Here's what Paul says, Romans 14, 1, right there, Lori, bring that verse up that's next on the screen. 
hit that space bar. There you go. It says, listen to this, accept him whose faith is what? That means you think you're more spiritually mature than them. Anybody ever deal with somebody that you thought you were more spiritually mature than? Yes or no? Yeah, you're probably sitting beside them and you call them husband or wife, right? Right? Let's be honest, right? Accept the person whose faith is weak or weaker than yours without what? Without passing judgment on disputable matters, matters like this. He goes on and says this, you then, why do you judge your brother or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. He goes on to say this, it is written as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee is going to bow before me and every tongue is going to confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself or herself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind to not put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother or sister's way. As one who was in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. Listen, the reality is this, there are people watching how you and I act when it comes to these disputable matters. And there are millions of them. How do you handle disputable matters? Listen, if your attitude is, is to judge the person whose faith is weaker, who's more immature than you, he says, stop it. Stop it. And if the mission matters more, and it does, listen, let's be clear. God cares more about the great commission than he does complete agreement. So you and I have got to learn how to get past those things. And here's what Paul and Barnabas did. They did not stop the work of the Lord. They didn't stop it. Right? The verse there, Lori, Acts 15, 58. Here's what Paul says to every believer in the room. He says this. Go past that verse to Acts to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul gives a verse here and says, Therefore, my beloved or my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is what? Not in vain. It's not in vain. Listen, there's work to be done. Do you know people that don't know Jesus? Right? You know family members that don't know Jesus? Is the work done? No, man, we got work to do. And I tell you this, one of the greatest, one of the greatest obstacles to you and I getting the work done is how you and I learn to handle conflicts. Even when we take bad stands, we can avoid sharp disagreements. Why? Because love does not get easily angered. It's not easily provoked. Especially for people who make every effort, who are completely humble, and try to protect the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And here's the last thing. We've got to end the story so you know how this goes. So what happened to Paul? And what happened to Barnabas? And what happened to John Mark? Well, you know what happened to Paul, right? Paul goes on, and ultimately Paul writes 13 letters in the New Testament. 13 of the books of the Bible that we read in the New Testament were written by Paul the Apostle. God obviously used Paul in spite of his behavior. Amen. Now, Barnabas, we only hear about one other time. And that's when Paul writes about him in first Corinthians nine and calls him a fellow servant or a fellow brother in the Lord. They obviously didn't stop recognizing each other in their relationship to the Lord. But I want to focus on John Mark because John Mark's the guy that left. John Mark's the guy that failed. John Mark is the guy that let other people down. Some of you know what that's like in here. Some of you online know what it's like to be the person that's the disappointment, to be the person that's the failure. It's really cool because Barnabas did what God, what God made him to do. He was the son of encouragement. He said, John Mark, let's go. 
Here's what we read about John Mark from the words of the Apostle Paul. Just so you can be encouraged. In Colossians chapter 4, skip that verse, Lori, go to Colossians 4. Paul writes to this church and he writes this. He says, Tychius will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. He goes on to say, I'm sending to you or him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He goes on to say this, he's coming with Onesimus, who is a faithful and dear brother, who's one of you. And then listen to what Paul writes. He says, they're going to tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does the cousin of Barnabas. He says about him, you've received instructions about John Mark. If he comes to you, welcome him. Sounds like Paul and John Mark are okay. Paul called John Mark an apostate, said he left the faith. And now he quotes or he writes of John Mark that he should be welcomed by his brothers in Christ. But here's the best one. Second Timothy, Paul's last letter, he's imprisoned. He's close to death. He has served the Lord and he's now chained to Roman officers in an actual, in a, in a Roman dungeon. His life's over. He writes his last letter and in chapter four of second Timothy, here's what Paul writes. He says this. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me. He likes that word. That's the word apostate too, right? He's deserted me and he's gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Everybody read this with me. Everybody online. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is to me and my ministry. You know Bring that verse back up, Lori. You know what this word helpful is? It's the word under rower. Paul experienced John Mark leave as an under rower. And in the last days of his life, he says, bring him back to me. Because he's become an under rower with me in the ministry. Listen, I just want to encourage you. For some of you in here, you don't have a problem getting along with people. But you do have a problem forgiving yourself for being a failure because you're a John Mark. You quit. You know what? So what? So what? I quit for seven years. I left Bible college with a degree and awards. I left Bible college with Pastor Joe. And when Joe continued on the straight and narrow, I quit for seven years. Some of you watching online and some of you here, you've quit for a long time. It's time for you to get over it. Because listen, your failure isn't, fail, isn't fatal. It isn't the end of the road for you because you didn't go as well as you thought. Because here's the thing. God cares about the mission. Because the mission is about the men and the women in this room, online, and in our communities in the world. And I hate to tell you this, but God needs you. He needs you. And one of the things he needs you to do is get over your failure. I love that story. And just picturing Paul sitting in prison in the last days of his life. And in one of the last letters, he, in the last letter he wrote, the last person he asked for is John Mark. I think it's one of the coolest things in scripture. I think God has a plan for each of you to do that as well. Listen, I just want to encourage you. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake. There's an eternity at stake for people that you know. And I know that you and I don't think it's that important, but learning 
how to disagree in a manner that reflects Jesus makes a difference to people in our world today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this church. I'm grateful there's so many of us. I'm grateful that there's such a diversity of people. I'm grateful that we all have different opinions. We come from different backgrounds. But Lord, I'm grateful for the Holy Spirit that can teach us how to learn how to do this conflict thing well. I, I do pray that you'll make us aware that there are people watching us. And although they may not know all the intricacies of the church and of the Bible, they know well enough to know that if we call ourselves Christians, we should learn how to get along. So, Lord, if there's any unresolved issues in this church between people, Lord, I pray today your power of conviction would be upon them. That they would lay down whatever gift they've got before they come to the altar to worship you and they would make it right. And I pray, Lord, that as we move forward, we'll learn how to be completely humble. We'll learn how to be at peace with all men. That we'll learn how to push ourselves to do everything we can to make it right. Because love is not easily provoked. And so God, help us reflect that in everything that we do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.